0: From Hollywood, is Rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob
1: Watson!
0: Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, today, we have a great show lined up for you. We are waiting for our guests to call in, so hopefully that will happen. Um, otherwise, this may be a very short show, but <laughs> um, anyway, we um, our guests are actually, they've been with us before. They're a wonderful, sweet couple. Um, we've had them on before for one of the husbands, who, um, is, his name is Matthew Ol- Olszewski. Um, Matthew is better known as the shirtless violinist. And he's a YouTube star and plays an incredible violin. Um, And he does this shirtless while um, showing off a very chiseled, wonderful body as well. So you get the visual and the beautiful music together. And um, that is Matthew. Well, Matthew's husband is a gentleman named Paul Castle. Paul is an incredible graphic artist. Um, He does these really charming, wonderful illustrations, and Paul has written a new book. Um, It is um, a book that is for children. It's called Pengrooms and um, has charming illustrations based on a couple that happen to be penguins and um, their adventures. Uh, This book is brave on a couple of fronts. One, it is a book that is the type that many conservative areas of the country are now banning because they want nothing to do with LGBTQ depiction in any way in front of uh, younger children, Uh, even though this book is completely charming and wonderful. So we're going to find out what, what the prospects are there. But... Paul has done this um, with probably one of the greatest handicaps a graphic artist could have, and that is that he is legally blind, and, um, you know, so that has got to make the process incredibly difficult. And if you see the art, it's incredibly wonderful. So he has he has pursued through that to create something charming and wonderful. Um, the couple has an online presence. Um, They do a lot of really cute videos, and I've shared about their relationship and a lot of other things, so we are anxious to talk to them very shortly. For that, um, let's go to Brody Levesque. Uh, Brody's our co-host and the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Brody, what is new in the world?
2: Good afternoon, Rob, and good day, good morning, good afternoon. All of you across the world that listen to us, we thank you. Uh, The most important news that uh, came out of Washington this morning was that in a rather historic session presided over by the first woman black vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, the U.S. Senate voted 53 to 47 in favor of confirming Kajanji Brown-Jackson's nomination, now making her the first black woman Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. The White House noted that Judge Jackson joined the president and other senior White House staff in the Roosevelt Room to watch the results of the Senate vote on her nomination. On Friday, uh, tomorrow basically, uh, the president, the vice president, and uh, now Justice Jackson will be delivering remarks in the Rose Garden at the White House. So that'll be kind of cool. Um, Th- this is that's,
0: that is excellent, and it's practically miraculous that a Supreme Court justice nominated by a Democratic president got through the Congress.
2: Um, yeah, uh, given the open and naked hostility of the Republican Party, um, not only in both houses of the U.S. Congress, but in for all intents and purposes, probably close to 35 state houses across the United States out of the 50. Um, yeah, it is nothing short of miraculous. It uh, also sends a very clear signal, I think, to young black women and young uh, black queer women that they, too, have a place at the table. I think not only the fact that, obviously, the vice president uh, it's black and a woman, but I think also now that here we have a black woman sitting on the high court. So it's, it's a really good positive message. Um, Unfortunately, and sadly, however, it's already not being well received at all uh, in the usual places by the usual suspects uh, to kind of (laughs) use the phrase. Um, and that, that in and of itself is sad. The, the Twitterverse in the, uh, conservative sphere of things, uh, has been particularly ugly today. Um, although that's pretty much the norm for them, uh, but they're not happy campers. Uh, there's a lot of comments about socialism, wokeism, uh, critical race theory. Uh, they, they really have gone off, uh, gone off the rails. I, for all intents and purposes, The United States has gone backwards uh, into an era uh, that most people had assumed it had gotten through and gotten uh, far away from. And that is, of course, the Jim Crow civil rights era. And the truth of the matter is we are now seeing a return to that. Not only are we seeing a return to it in the suppression of the black communities and and the immigrant communities, but of course we're very much seeing it uh, as these republican led school boards and these republican led state legislators um, and and with the rhetoric coming off the Capitol Hill are trying to impose a genuine sense of apartheid against the LGBTQ community, particularly the transgender community, uh, with the book bans with the anti-trans laws, with the don't say gay bills uh, which have suddenly become you know, a pile on, you know, it's not enough to say that, yes, these laws and these bans will be, you know, constitutionally challenged in court and in many cases overturned. That's not the issue here. The issue is that we're returning to the same type of thought among, you know, a, a large segment of white America in, in mostly the South, but other places as well. Right. Um who were okay uh, with, you know, interracial marriages being outlawed, who were okay with, um, you know, colored signs and bathrooms and drinking and, you know, the back-of-the-bus type of, of, of thought process. And they have now returned to that. They, they, they are rather open about it. It's, it's no longer disguised. It's no longer hidden. It's no longer talked about. You know, while people are sipping mint juleps in little smoke filled back rooms, they're out with right. it. We've seen it as evidence with all of the Karen videos, uh, that have just been a proliferation of hatred. Um, well, not only just because of the COVID uh, pandemic, but of course, obviously the presidency of, you know, Donald Trump. Um, but by the way. Yeah. Uh, Donald, Trump totally un- oh, uh, Donald Trump
0: totally unleashed. Donald Trump unleashed that, and and that was probably the worst part of his legacy. Was he gave permission for all of that to be to come out in the open. I mean, we had the white supremacists, you know, thrilled with him, and obviously a lot of the groups that were um, the most uh, oh. assertive. Let's use that word in the January 6th uprising were. Those groups, and of course, he did absolutely nothing to discourage them, you know, in, in in any way. So yeah, it's like he he opened he opened the barn gate on these
2: people. Well, I mean, and he continues to do that. Uh, my colleague at the uh, Washington Blade reported this morning that Trump uh, was fawning all over Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, signing the don't say gay measure, even though, mind you, that DeSantis. Is a prob- probable challenger for the Republican nomination in 2024 against Trump, but it's it's cumulative. The the main well, thing and, here yeah, is that and, they and the, feel that they have the right to be prejudicial again.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, and it's I mean it's, it's hit, it hits hit bizarre levels. In fact, um, besides Donald Trump. Supporting um, Ron DeSantis, Caitlin Jenner, who is thought, has been inspired to join Fox News, um, is coming out in support of that, which is, to me, it just absolutely appalling. That um, I, I think she got dropped on her head at some point. Um, it just—it just is bizarre to me that that she is so eager to get liked by the Republicans that she'll go to any length for
2: that. Well, and as many people have pointed out, and and I have actually, in fact, said, um, she's a member of the community in name only. At the end of the day, she's still a wealthy white Republican. And um, the fact that she's transgender no longer factors into it. The trans community, or at least the vast majority that I've spoken to, uh, have more or less disowned and uh, put her at beyond arm's length in terms of acknowledgement that she's even, you know, part of that community. Um, I think. Yeah. The, the only problem is, is, is that there.
0: for, for, for most of America, she is the only transgender person they know.
2: Well, and that's, and this is where we get into the visibility factor. I mean, I fight uh, that problem constantly, even in the, you know, the macros of the of social media. I'm part of a team uh, that is acting as a consultancy to both Meta, uh, YouTube, and uh, also now to TikTok in Culver City, the American headquarters of TikTok. And we are constantly running into censorship of LGBTQ um, uh, you know creators' product. And and content It's just gotten ridiculous And a lot of it just has to do Because of the myopic sense That even corporate America has uh, in, In terms of where they view the community And, you know, in the overall So I think in summary, basically The nomination of this U.S. Supreme Court justice Is sending a very strong signal To quite a few people Um, that not only does your vote matter, uh, but your sense of humanity does uh, as well. I remind people constantly. I I tell my own staff this. um, The Christian right would rather that their so-called religious freedom, expression, and liberties trump, pardon the pun, the civil rights and human rights of the LGBTQ community and, quite frankly, others. And regardless of how much protest that they launch, uh, there's no getting around that because there's historical content, context, context well, and content for it. And I just caution right. people that, you know, you have to pay attention because these people at the end of the day, bottom line, they don't care. You know, this idea that they care about their fellow human beings and the Christian this and Christian that, it's bullshit. You know, they're in it for money, they're in it for power, they're in it they're actually in it for white supremacy. And they are no different, no different than what we saw, you know, in the streets of America during the Kennedy administration, during the civil rights movement, or when LBJ was president. It's the same kind of thought processes. And you know what? It's unfortunate.
0: It is, and, but the, the, I think one of the things, though, to also recognize is that even though it is the same thought process and the same stuff that was in the streets you know, in the 60s, is the, the, the pro-racist, um, it really is a smaller segment in our society now. The problem we have right now is the people in power. We are being run by a minority through gerrymandering, yes. through, through all that stuff. And that is what we have to get fixed. And the only way to fix that is for the rest of us to show up like our lives depended on it during the midterms and not let the, the Republicans get control of everything. Um, so that is a challenge that we have in front of us. Um, Brody, you had uh, something more from Alabama, I believe.
2: Yeah, I just, as a matter on. of fact, uh, my reporter just filed the copy with me. It'll be going up at the Los Angeles Blade. Actually, while I'm on the air with you, a bill that would criminalize gender-affirming care for minors cleared the Alabama legislature on Thursday. The legislation now heads to Republican Governor Kay Ivey, and most of the largest LGBT rights and social justice organizations are promising to challenge it. The minute she signs it into law, essentially what Senate Bill 184 does, and it is the first in the United States of its class, it would provide that anyone in the healthcare profession, doctor, nurse, nurse assistant, nurse practitioner, anyone who provides any kind of gender-affirming care to anyone under the age of 19 would be a class six felony, which comes with a mandatory two-year prison sentence in Alabama. So if you're a doctor, let's say this law is passed and, I mean, not passed, it's signed. The minute she signs it, if you're treating a trans patient, male, female, doesn't matter, under the age of 19, you've just committed a felony. And the worst part is the bill also has provisions built into it so that people can report doctors for doing it. So it's a very polite. Police, stateish type of thought process into this, and again, this is the minority that you were just speaking of, um, and, and this is where they're at. And that was literally passed about an hour or two ago. It'll be up at the LA Blade here in about you know twenty minutes or so. But uh, so there you go. This is the reality, yeah. And, and this is what we're facing.
0: And didn't didn't Idaho just pass something that was? Equally horrendous, though,
2: with the, some th- felony charge? Yeah, they the, the Idaho legislature uh, did pass similar legislation, although the governor there has not signed it. So effectively, oh, okay. Alabama so is, 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 is the first.
0: It's the first one um, that can actually a
1: law.
2: Yeah, I've actually heard from the American Civil Liberties Union, um, our friends at the National Center for Lesbian Rights there's going to be a full court you know challenge on that oh,
0: yeah yeah it's it's but back to your point it's insane that it it even has to be discussed in a court um yeah. but um yeah it's um no this is this is um a hallmark of the times we're in but it and it's horrible, but we have to fight it we have to to do do so bravely. Um, and speaking of Brave and speaking of Fighting and speaking of going against the groove, um, our guests are right there, although they do it oh, in we get to talk a about very I love it. <laughs> charming, sweet, beautiful, wonderful way, um, but their, their stuff is, is right there in the mix. So um, right now I'd like to welcome onto the show uh, Matthew and Paul. Welcome, guys.
1: Hello, thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Oh, it's good yes. to talk hey, to you again, Matthew. Nice <laughs> to be here.
0: <laughs> it's great to have you. As last time, we were talking mostly about Matthew taking his shirt off. Um, now, now we've got uh, <laughs> a, a, a little bit shift in focus. So, um, you know, but Matthew, you are welcome to be as naked as you want. That's that's fine, and and we are radio, so. Um, you, know, you, you can go for it, but I wanted to take you guys back. We were talking about oppression and everything else, and, and you um, both experienced um, some of this hatred um, recently with your Instagram page, um, where it got taken down. What happened with that?
1: Yeah, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, it was really interesting, <laughs> actually, because. You know, Brody had a big part, played a big role in helping us reinstate our Instagram page. Because about a year and a half ago, it was, uh, well, just over a year ago, it was targeted by trolls um, that we discovered were taking down many LGBTQ creators and targeting them and zapping their accounts. And we were a victim of that. But thankfully we Brody helped us get the word out and his article I think was shared an obscene amount of times on Facebook, Brody. Do you yeah. remember how many times that was shared? Like half a million. <laughs> uh,
2: by the time I quit counting, it was three quarters of a million shares. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, well, was I also Pink and, News
0: pick, Yeah, Pink News picked it up yeah. and quoted it. Luckily, they did give you credit, Brody. But yeah,
1: it's um... <laughs> you know the the bittersweet aspect of that is that, well, first of all, our account was reinstated because it took that many shares to get the attention of uh, the folks over at Facebook. And sadly, um, you know, smaller creators who didn't have the same platform as us, um, maybe they only had uh, you know, a thousand followers. They were unable to get their accounts reinstated and, uh, it's just unfortunate, you know? Yeah.
0: It's, it, it just, um, it shows that the the people who are of this mindset are devious and um, underhanded and aggressive, um, and so it's super mm-hmm. important that we stay vigilant and and fight. Um, so I want to I want to shift yeah. to Paul and and the book The Pengrooms, um, and and I do notice I did notice did some little sleuthing. Um, I did notice that on your wedding invitation, um, there are two very cute little penguins. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously this is a, <laughs> an ongoing theme. It's
1: a theme. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, well, good, good so, detective work there. Um, that, that was, in fact, the impetus for the idea. You know, Matthew proposed to me back in March of 2019 and shortly after we started planning our wedding, and when it came time to create the wedding invitations, I insisted that we have a photo of ourselves on, on the invitation. And Matthew said, please, God, no more pictures. <laughs> he said, <laughs> I think you, I, <laughs> yeah. but he had a great idea. He said, I think you should draw something instead. And so I came up with these cute little penguins, which meant to represent the two of us. I picked penguins because they are already dressed in formal wear and, you know, I'm sure you're aware that penguins are known for um, representing same sex couples in the animal kingdom. And this mm-hmm. is quite common. And so we, I did this and it became an instant hit. Um, and I started to depict, I called them the penguins. It just came to my mind, you know, it popped into my head. I thought, well, that's rather perfect. And it became popular with all of our fans and followers. And as you know, I'm an artist. I I, I do a lot of illustration, and these penguins became very popular. People wanted to see them on their honeymoon and at Christmas, and how were they spending the early days of the pandemic? So I created all these illustrations sort of depicting them in these different life scenarios uh, represented as a gay couple. And that's when exactly two years ago, right after the initial lockdown in the pandemic, Matthew turned to me and said, well, our schedule just got cleared. I mean, Matthew had shows planned all <laughs> over the United States. He said, I oh. think we need to focus on your next creative adventure. And he said, you need to turn the penguins into a children's book. It's been your dream since you were a boy. And so we kickstarted it. It was uh, Matthew's suggestion. He said, let's kickstart it. I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's do that next year sometime. And he said, no, let's do it next week. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> we kick-started
1: it that's Matthew for you just dive in the deep end we kick-started the project well, and it kind of went viral it was um, funded in 72 hours
0: that's fabulous and kudos Matthew for being probably the, the most uh, make lemon out of lemon or make no lemonade out of lemons uh, for the pandemic it's like okay we're shut down let's let's just pick up a different project that's that's pretty awesome Um Paul, tell, tell us about it. you. You actually did a book um, when you were very young, um, so this was a lifelong thing. Tell us about your very first book.
1: That truly was a lifelong dream, right? I think you're referring to a book that I wrote when I was uh, the ripe old age of six, and um, I am. it was called. <laughs> <laughs> it was called the Sad Turtle. But don't worry, he makes friends, and it has a happy ending. The funny story about that was that as a child, I was really enamored with the idea of having a book, having my own book. And, of course, for it to be a real book, it had to be hardbound. So I went on a hunt for a good hardback book, and I found a G.I. Joe book on my brother's bookshelf. And I stole it from him, and I ripped out all the toxic masculine pages. (laughs) And I inserted my own story and taped it together and wrote the story and created my first book called The Sad Turtle, which still sits on my bookshelf today. Um, It's one of my, you know, most prized, priceless possessions. Right, right.
0: Well, now, and and I am going to defend G.I. Joe because um, I did play with G.I. Joes when I was uh, of of a similar age, Um, and I have to tell you, G.I. Joe does look fabulous when you make um, ball gowns out of toilet paper and wrap them More. around him. So I can I can attest <laughs> that from personal experience. Just FYI, there's another children's <laughs> book idea right there.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: There you go. I'll have I'll be happy to give you notes on that. Um, so uh, as as you wrote this, I mean, you, you obviously started this project kind of before this ridiculous. Um, Republican witch hunt started happening and they started banning books and all of that. Um, As you were in the project and you were hearing about what they were doing, what, what
1: came to mind for you? What, what, what did you think? Well, it's so interesting. I, uh, you're right. I mean, I, I came up with the idea two years ago. I started working on it two years ago. Um, I had already sent it off to be published before this became a news item and as my book was preparing to come out, and this was coming into the fore, and I was learning about the the Don't Say Gay Bill, you know, it's funny, my first initial thought was, oh, this is terrible, you know, this is um, a bill that would eradicate, uh, squash, extinguish this sort of uh, story from being available to young readers in schools, and But I quickly realized, oh, no, this is actually really perfect timing because this is a time where we need to talk about this more than ever. And I felt, um, you know, like all of us, I felt incensed, enraged about the conservative viewpoint that teaching uh, K through third grade about uh, same-sex couples, about LGBTQ history, that somehow that was about teaching children about sex, and they even nicknamed it the grooming bill. Um, I was... Outraged because, of course, my story has nothing to do with sex, and I believe that it's the perfect time to start learning about these t- kinds of things in the world to, to ensure that the next generation of kids are a loving and accepting generation.
0: I, I think that's fantastic. Um, tell us more about the plot of the, um, the heroes of uh, The Ten Grooms and uh, specifically – Highlighting what you just said, how this depiction has nothing to do with sexual behavior,
1: absolutely, yeah, well, you know, first and foremost, my story is about the power of teamwork. It's about finding the your teammate in life, and that doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but people that you feel strongly. Uh, compelled to and to work with. And so the penguins are married at the end of the story, spoiler alert, but they also they're (laughs) best friends and they're teammates, just like my husband and I are. And the story is actually about the penguins. They own a, a little cake shop and their passion is making wedding cakes and delivering them to their many friends in the animal kingdom. Now their friends just happen to be LGBTQ and it isn't explicitly stated because I believe that the best messages are a little more subtle. And so it's really in the imagery. You see two flamingos getting married and they're dressed up like boys in top hats and with bow ties. And there's two uh, giraffe brides with beautiful veils and flowers atop their heads. And so the idea is to introduce just a, a beautiful story of teamwork and love and connection by depicting characters that are, part of the LGBTQ rainbow.
0: I think uh, this it sounds so charming and so wonderful. Are you kind of preparing to go to battle a little bit, like, you know, get on a campaign of, <laughs> you know, here's a wonderful children's book banned in Florida. Um, you need to get your hands on it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've, in a sense, we've started to, use that in our own publicity. I mean, we've talked about it. We, I even recently said, you know, buy a book, send it to <laughs> Florida. You know? Um, we know that that's going to be part of the discussion. <laughs> this is never the intent. This is never the intent, but it's somewhat fortuitous that it's coming out at this time, like, like I've mentioned already, because I'm ready right. to have that discussion. I'm passionate. I'm passionate about that discussion, and so is Matthew. We believe that um, education and love and tolerance, or uh, acceptance and inclusion and diversity, all needs to start very, very young. And so we are excited to use this moment to talk about the book, and hopefully to spread a message of love. Ultimately.
0: Yeah. No. That's it's, that. That is wonderful. Um, and you guys, I, I love. You know, I follow you on, on different social media and. I've seen a lot of your videos where you are kind of lip syncing to, a, I think it's like a little girl and, and a parent, um, and you're having these like really adorable conversations where they're coming through you. Um, what, what are all the creative <laughs> venues you guys have that, that uh, you have put
1: out there? Oh yeah, I mean yeah. You're referring to the TikToks, the TikToks, with the lip syncs. You know, we've really expanded. Yeah. Um, TikTok has transformed, especially since I came home with my guide dog. You mentioned that I'm legally blind at the top of the show. This is true. I have a guide dog. He has stolen the show. He is now probably more popular <laughs> than Matthew or I will ever be on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> but you've you got TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we love it. It's great. I mean, he's just part of the family. Uh, So we've got, you know, TikTok. We've got our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. But we pour our hearts into our own podcast every week. It's called His and His, and it's something we started week one of the pandemic uh, lockdown back in March 2020. And we put out a new episode every Monday. It's called His and His. It's available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and we discuss. The unique experience of growing up gay, accepting yourself, and finding a happy and fulfilling relationship.
0: And you guys seem very upfront, not only painting the romantic part of your relationship, but um, you seem to to give voice to stresses and strains and how you get through them. Um, how how
1: does how does that play out for you? Yeah, uh, this is Matthew here. Um, we try to portray our relationship and um, all its different facets, when things are going well, when we're stressed, uh, things we fight about, how we make up, how we get along, because you know I like to think that we're providing the representation that always I always wish I had seen growing up as a kid, a real relationship, you know not a fantasy as much as we all love fantasy, but the ins and outs of what it's like to be in a relationship and manage that, learn to compromise, learn to love each other through the good times and the bad. And just to echo what Matthew so poignantly and beautifully said, I feel like we have people uh, messaging us every day, thanking us just for being a real couple, a real same-sex couple, uh, that they can look up to and say, hey, you know what? They're no different. I can be that too, and that's what I want. And that's what we're trying to create on social media as a couple. Right.
0: Do, do you find here's, – okay, here's my bizarre question of the hour, and I'm not promising I won't come up with even more bizarre ones. This is probably the most bizarre one um, so far. Um, so when you if you guys have a fight, in the back of each of your minds, is there sort of like this little note-taker going – you know, I want to remember the details of this for our podcast.
1: <laughs> no, we fight way too often for that to happen. <laughs> okay. uh, we we would need a lot of notes. No, uh, you bring up a really good. You bring up a great question, though. It's not far from the truth. Uh, the, I would I would twist that just a little. I would say that usually when we resolve an issue, I will bring, I think to myself, well, this is a really good bit of information to talk about um, either on social media or specifically on our podcast, how we learn to compromise, come together, and repair an issue. But usually in the heat of the argument, my mind is very far from all the creative <laughs> things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and you're totally human in doing that. I'm not. You know that that sounds sounds normal. In fact, the thing I think I would wonder about because I've had this, and I'm I'm going to not even point to myself. I'll point to my parents. My parents had um, a fight in the 1950s when before they got married. Uh, they both passed away um, a few years ago, but um, they had a fight in the 50s before they got married, and through their 60-plus-year marriage, any time that fight was brought up again for them, they would have it all over. And I, it was like, mm-hmm. in fact, I went, when I had, was with my partner, I told him, okay, do not bring this up because they'll fight about it again. He didn't believe me, uh-huh. and he brought it up, and lo and behold, they had to fight all over again. So my question is, do you guys ever resolve something <clears throat> And then as you're depicting mm-hmm. it in the podcast to, uh,
1: for a teachable moment, find yourselves falling back into it? Well, I think what you're mentioning is, is that a perennial issue, Matthew, or is that a gridlock? Back me up here. A perennial. Oh. Um, so it, it could be called a perennial issue or a gridlock issue. It's one that is essentially unresolvable. That a couple will return to over and over again within the relationship. It's perfectly normal. It's not a it's not a red flag. Uh, we have issues like that, to your point, and we will have a heated moment again, and that's okay. That that may come up for the rest of our relationship, but we know how to repair and resolve it in the moment. It doesn't mean it's cured, though. Yeah. No, so, well, you guys
0: have more tools than they did because I don't think they ever. <laughs> ever got past that. I mean, and obviously they got yeah. so that it got put back in its box and and put away again, but um,
1: well, and you know what was... I And that might be okay. And that might be okay, too, is just being able to put it back in its box, put the little monster away, put it back to bed and then move on with life yeah, and right. it may come out once in a while. And, <laughs> And the reason I'm sort of making an example of this right now is because somebody might be out there listening and thinking, you know, I have that issue that keeps coming up, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm do- I must be doing something wrong, or maybe our marriage isn't the right marriage. And I, I would say to that, no, that's incorrect. I think that's okay to have those issues that re- return like time and time again. It's not as if your parents argued about it 24 seven and 24 <laughs> seven never. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was. Yeah, I would hope. Was. <laughs> it, yeah,
0: no, it just it just was one of those things, and and you know it's like it. Uh, I mean, I found it kind of humorous, which obviously means it wasn't, you know, an astronomical threat to their relationship or life as we right. knew it. But it was just one of those things that was it was theirs and
1: oh yeah, you know, one of the it was probably the like intricacy of the relationship. Who, who didn't use a coast? who didn't use a coaster in 1944 <laughs> yeah
0: well it it had it had to do with her my dad and my mom's roommate and some joke they pulled on my mom um you know and ah. <laughs> for for a lifelong period she did not appreciate said
1: joke whatever it was so it was um, yeah, yeah. I see <laughs> so I a like he was, a weirdy he she wanted an apology, and he never stopped defending the joke hmm. i probably yeah, although I can see that he, I my, think your mom character? probably just wanted to be seen and heard uh,
0: possibly although my, one of the things with my mom, one of her personal things was she would never forget anything so if you if you messed up at some point. There really was no
1: correction. It was it was on the, okay. on your permanent Sadie record. I laughing you know, because yeah. yeah, that's my <laughs> issue. I I remember everything too. It's um, it's to my benefit and detriment. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would well, just add. Uh, you know, I call these perpetual areas of perpetual conflict, um, and you don't want them to end up in gridlock. Um, your purpose is to solve them even though they may never go away completely so I like to think of like let's work on declawing this issue so that there isn't as much hurt and it stops becoming as much of a source of pain for both of us but also honoring the fact that there's going to be compromise in this area and it may still pop up from time to time and that's normal yeah, yeah. well that's it's, really well said Matthew. yeah, yeah.
0: I, I mean, it's sort of like the, there's an old joke about a bunch of old comedians who got together and they'd heard the jokes so many times that all they had to do was go, "Oh, remember number 43?" and they'd all burst out laughing, mm-hmm. and you know, so they didn't have to go through the whole joke. It's sort of like, like "Oh, that's issue 55." Yeah. Get mad for five minutes mm-hmm. and then put it away. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want I want to shift gears to the, the the one thing I haven't asked you about, which is usually I think the thing that probably gets led with, Paul, and that is, you know, of, of your creative process, one of the things that most people would think was absolutely vital was perfect clarity of vision, and um, hmm. that has been a, a challenge for you. Um,
1: tell sure. us about the challenge and tell us how, how you are dealing with it. It would help probably for your listeners to understand exactly how I see the world. Imagine that you're looking through a straw. So I have a small amount of vision at the center of my eye about the size of the tube of a straw that is clear enough with um, mostly good visual acuity, although not perfect, It's like 2050 at the center in that little spot. So I'm able to use that little opening of vision to zero in on my work and just create in that space, you know. Um, It's not always easy. I have no peripheral vision. And another consequence of my retinal disease, it's called, sorry, I should have led with this. It's called retinitis pigmentosa. And it affects the rods and cones at the back of the retina. And I, um, it, it attacks the peripheral vision, as well as low light detection. So of course, I just need lots of bright light in my workspace, and and give me enough time. Give me a pen and paper, and enough time, I can create my art with that small uh, vision that I do have. But it's not easy, <laughs> and it is, it is. Unfortunately, it is a degenerative disease, so I am facing total blindness you know, eventually in the next five to ten years.
0: Yeah, that's, that is is heartbreaking to hear and yeah. absolutely astounding your attitude and your spiritual fortitude to stand up against it. Um, this started when you were 16. Did that ever deter you from looking at what you were doing in terms of art and go, maybe I should pick something else?
1: Well, you know, the funny story is that I, as a 16-year-old, as a it was my dream to be a, a film director. I wanted to be the next Spielberg. I wanted to move to Hollywood and direct movies. And so actually the diagnosis made me really reconsider that kind of visual storytelling and whether I would have the capacity to do it in um, such a doggy dog world as Hollywood is known to be. And so I absconded that. That dream, actually, I and went to college to study English literature instead, because my initial passion and love in life is stories. And so while studying literature in college, I continued to draw and paint and do the things I love on the side. And then by the time I graduated, I was selling my paintings. Um. So much so that I realized, oh, this is actually a viable career. So just that—that that was sort of the pathway into which it happened. I, I gave up the filmmaking dreams and fell back onto a visual arts. And I guess one was inevitable.
0: Well, it's—it's it's astounding. It's um, admirable, and actually, I think it's super inspiring uh, for anybody who—who who finds themselves challenged to instead of backing away and. and Going into self-pity over it and and everything else, but to push forward and excel at it anyway and in spite of um, you know. And I, from what I understand, you are actually going to be capturing a lot of these topics in your next book.
1: Oh yeah, that's absolutely right. The book I'm working on now is uh, focused on. Um, being a visually impaired person and having a disability. And specifically, it was inspired by the process of getting my guide dog. And I, I intend to create a story that um, equally whimsical and fanciful, but ultimately is about a young boy being matched with a guide dog. And I think that will be a special story to tell as well. And if, so if you didn't notice, but I really enjoy topics that are socially important and allow me to talk about bigger issues in the world. I definitely noticed that,
0: you know, it's like, it's, um, and, and admire that. I mean, it's, it's, it's what is inspiring over it. And I'm really anxious to see what, um, the effect of, of, um, you know, your current book has, um, because it, it, it should land right smack in the middle of this discussion as, as um, oh, no. the, the – the, so much of the current discussion, the right is trying to portray oh. as indoctrination yeah. and, um, you know, a, a pedophilia and, you know, really horrendous things. Mm. And I think um, the, the pen grooms is, is a primary focal point that can be made oh. of, okay – Let's look at a specific. Tell us what's wrong with this.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, yeah, I think that this is coming at important time, and it, it and that argument that you're you're talking about now about the you know kids that age they shouldn't be learning about any of these topics. It reminded me of something. I had this conversation with Matthew a few days ago, and I feel very compelled to share it right now because when I was seven years old in the second grade, when conservatives would believe my mind was too small and weak and infantile to understand big concepts, we learned about Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King, and we watched the I Have Mm -hmm. a Dream speech. And we were sent home that day, and I didn't run to my parents Asking them, how did Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King have sex? Because I wasn't interested in that, of course. I was inspired by their story of social change. And I came home uh, I'm truly inspired by that, that, that story. And I believe children of that same age would be inspired by the story of Harvey Milk and other LGBTQ crusaders through history. And I think that's an important thing for them to learn at that young age.
0: No. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing that as being a dad of two sons and I mean, we went through the whole process, you know, it's like that preschool they had kindergarten, you know, they, and they had two dads and um, the several issues there. One heterosexuality is taught at that level. The, the, Way it is taught, however, is in the guise of fantasy and romance and all of that. All the little girls of that age were dressing up as princesses and talked about their prince that would come, and you know all of all of that. Um, plus, mm. those kids see how families are, who's in the family. Um, so when when I would arrive at preschool to pick up my son. And you know, my my partner at the time would show up. He was Papa. I was Daddy. You know, that's who we were. The other kids who had Daddy and Mommy at home saw Papa and Daddy in our family, and mm-hmm. they needed an explanation. You know, and the explanation was mm-hmm. not all families look the same. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but that you know, it, it just underscores that that the nuance of relationships, most of the relationship has nothing to do with sexual intercourse or interaction. It has to do with everything mm-hmm. else, which obviously uh, pen is a perfect, perfect vehicle to, to express that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah. I, I, I'm very excited for you. And, and like I said, anxious to see, um, where this goes. What, what is the process of getting it out there?
1: Yes, I'm glad you asked. We are currently packing and shipping and fulfilling all of our Kickstarter backers uh, who, of course, get the advanced copies because they backed this project a year and a half ago when it's, uh, we first launched it. Now, on April 12th, mark your calendars, the book will be officially available to order and receive immediately on my website, which is paulcastlestudio.com. That's paulcastlestudio.com, and you will not be able to miss it. It's right there. You can get the book. In fact, you can go there right now and pre-order it. The pre-orders have been coming in steadily over these last couple of weeks, so it's very exciting, and we will be shipping them all over the world.
2: It's
0: super, super exciting, and I do hope that different uh, school systems and uh teachers uh, take a look at it because it it should be provided it should be there as part of you know the diversity of kids being able to see that and uh, Matt, I think you were the one that we were talking about when you were a certain age that you didn't see things portrayed um and I think it's it's important for a young child. I knew, you know, I had instincts of being gay when I was seven years old, um, but I didn't see anything out there that mm-hmm. depicted or even gave me a signal that that was going to be okay. Um, and I think that, you know, there was damage in my formative years going through puberty not seeing that out there, not having mm-hmm. any inkling that that was normal life. So um, I I think this is an important piece in that. Um, Matthew, I want to shift over to what you're doing. Um, You're still making um, incredible music, and um, you have been very visual in terms of you as an art piece almost. Tell us what's going on with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, so I – I am busy in the gym, um, getting this body in the shape. or trying to keep it in shape, which is an ongoing challenge. And besides that, I released an album uh, early this year called Memory, which is some of my favorite songs that I learned growing up as a young violinist. I have an upcoming concert here in Seattle on May 21st. Get tickets to that. Come see me. If you don't live in Seattle, that doesn't matter. I have people flying in to be there, so no excuses. And then we also have a couple of music videos that are in the works right now. And Paul is actually my music video editor. And director. And director. I think this is a (laughs) good opportunity to mention what I, I talked earlier about. Um, not going to film school. One of the beautiful things about my relationship with Matthew is I told him that story on our first date. And he said, let's get you behind the camera. Let's do this. This was a dream of yours. And so for the last five years, six years, almost now, I've been directing uh, his music videos and putting those together despite the vision loss. Thank goodness. I have a lot of help, but that's pretty exciting too. So we have some beautiful videos coming out very soon. Oh, that's, that's
0: awesome. I, and I do remember, I think, um, uh Paul, you're the one that actually encouraged Matthew to take his shirt off
1: initially. And
0: um I am, uh, I am and I'm
1: every, brand, every time brand you have around to a to remind me of that anytime he has to go on a diet to cut down a little bit for the next performance. <laughs> <laughs> so, um
0: Matthew, yeah, also it, you have you have a um a way where people get to see Pretty much all of you, correct, on your website?
1: Oh, um, pretty close, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell so, us how somebody uh, signs well, up for that. All started on Patreon. Um, several years ago, I started a patreon.com um, where people can support me, support my music, help me record music, make music videos. And in return, I decided that I would start posting some of my. Well, let's put it this way: the shirtless violinist goes pantless once in a while. There.
0: <laughs> so, so there for for our listeners who are interested, you have you have the gamut. You have you have your choices. <laughs> um, Matthew, tell us how how people get your music and everything else. What are the what are the places where they would find all
1: that? Uh, You can get my music on every music streaming service. Just type shirtless violinist into the search, and I'm there. Uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. You can also watch all of my music videos on YouTube at the shirtless violinist YouTube channel. Oh, yes, and if you prefer CDs or vinyls, go to shirtlessviolinist.com, and I have some of those available there.
0: And now that your your Instagram is back up, what, what is the Instagram site that people should check you guys out? And how do they get to your
1: podcast? Oh, great question. Yeah. If if you would like to follow uh, the two of us together on our joint adventures, and, of course, Mr. Maple makes a lot of guest appearances, you'll just search for Matthew and Paul on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, Um, that's Matthew with two T's. We were recently informed that there is another Matthew and Paul out there. Matthew with one T. So make sure it is Matthew with two T's. Um, I think you'll know instantly that it's us. And then you could just type in his and his uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, wherever you listen. And uh, we've got over 100 episodes. That you could binge right now. Wonderful!
0: Wow, that's that's awesome. So
1: yeah. so so while you're you're
0: um, subscribing to rated LGBT radio, uh, subscribe to his and his, and then then you have two days during your week that you have some really quality podcasting <laughs> set up. Guys, we are down to our very final last minutes. Any any final words or anything I should have asked that we didn't talk about?
1: No, I think we really covered it. I think you you joked we have the gamut, and sometimes we laugh about that here, too. You have everything from children's books to my beautiful husband and uh, his photography. Um, But, you know, I think I'd like to just leave this um, talking about, again, the penguins. This is an important uh, moment for us to be putting out this, real, this book about love and inclusion at a time when conservative legislature in our country would aim to rob our young, youngest generation of growing up in a loving, accepting world. And this is, um, if you're interested in the book and gifting it to somebody and spreading our message of love, please go to paulcastlestudio.com claim yours now, and uh, we would, I'll sign it for you. So I'd love that very much.
0: Well, thank you. We, we love you very much, and thank you guys for coming on today. And uh, we're going to make that the last word on this subject, so um, there you go. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Brody Levesque for his work on this show as well as his work bringing the Los Angeles Blade to you. You can find that on losangelesblade.com. Um, And for those of us at LGBT Radio, we will be back again next week with an incredibly fabulous show. I have absolutely no idea what it will be, but I guarantee you that it will have those adjectives attached to it. So tell your friends to subscribe. We love you. Thank you for listening. And for now, we will talk to you again next week.
1: You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio!
2: Wonderful.
0: Lucky
1: Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office.